This is Bruce Moreland, and you're listening to The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. Pantheon Podcast presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hey there, this is Pleasant Gaiman and you're listening to The Devil's Music a Pantheon podcast. A little bit about me. I'm a punk rock witch from Hollywood, California. I've had a lifelong passion for rock and roll and the occult that started when I was a preteen. In the 70s, I was one of the first punks in LA. And as a teenager, I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go, started producing shows, and made a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to write for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s and the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've toured around the globe to teach and perform dance. You might have also seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. Look for me in the new Go-Go's documentary. To find out more about me or to book a tarot reading, go to my website, pleasantgaiman.com. I'm really excited to be part of the Pantheon Podcasts network of rock and roll shows. Everyone here at Pantheon tells stories about the music we just adore so much, each and every one with a different twist. Find them all wherever you listen to podcasts at Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix. And head on over to PantheonPodcast.com to share a show with a friend. Or be damned to purgatory forever. Got lots of problems. Female trouble. Maybe I'm twisted Female trouble They say I'm insane I don't care Go ahead and put me Hi, this is Pleasant Gaiman and you're listening to The Devil's Music. I'm so excited about my guest today. It's Mink Stoll, who's an international treasure. Her acting career has gone on for longer than most of you guys have been alive. She's been in all of John Waters' films. Their collaboration started in 1967. She wrote an advice column called Think Mink for the Baltimore City Paper and is also a musician. We met as cellmates on Steve Balderson's Women in Prison film, Stuck. We filmed it in 2009. So the first way I know Mink is through jail, but luckily we both got out for time served and good behavior. God only knows how we got that one, but <laughs> here we are. Hi, Mink. Hi, Pleasant. 
I have to tell you one of my most fond memories of working on Stuck <laughs> was not during the actual filming, which was also fun, but sitting on the screen porch with you watching the storms. Oh my God, yes. Did you yes, remember yes. that? Yeah, the insane storms. We were filming this in um, Macon, Georgia, and the the storms were insanity. It was like it was like like you wouldn't have believed them if they were in a movie. It was like the end of the world. They were. They were fabulous. We were sitting out on a screen porch watching it, and you were so excited. I know. I love extreme weather. I, that's something that a lot of people don't know about me. Like whenever whenever I've been on the road staying with someone. I always have to say that um, that uh, like I hope you don't mind having the Weather Channel on twenty four seven. But you know what? What you know what I loved about Stuck too was before we even met each other, I was I was so nervous to meet you and to act with you because I loved you since I was like twelve or thirteen. Whenever um, oh, that's <laughs> for real. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. I had amazing babysitters and one of them um, went on, his name was Gary Morris. He went on to have a giant website on film called Bright Lights. And when I was like, you know, preteen, he introduced me to, to you and to John Waters stuff. And I mean, nowadays, like you could probably get arrested for child endangerment for doing that. But um that like just opened up such a new amazing world to me because all of, all of the films that I saw from then onwards were like just a, a, an affirmation of life for me. Um, but also I love that our um, prison relationship started before we were actually incarcerated because for anyone, <laughs> <laughs> um, this was like before there was like smartphones, there was only I think flip phones when we did stock or maybe there was like the earliest smartphones, but um, Mink and I were like in, in touch with each other like constantly before the movie started about um, who, if there were bunk beds, who was gonna have the top bunk, who was <laughs> like, would we like or hate each other as cellmates? Because I played a cop killing hooker and your name was Esther and Mink was a religious nut who committed like like multiple murders to like FBI agents or something, right? I think I killed eight husbands. So, so oh, also, it. didn't your place get yeah. raided by the FBI or something too, though? Yeah, it, I had completely forgotten. I had to rewatch the movie. <laughs> I know, so do I. Um, but so anyway, Mink and I were were also like I I. I sat on my own porch and made a fucking shank out of a toothbrush by sharpening it on the concrete because I wanted to do it <laughs> like a real jailhouse way. And I remember sending you like an email saying, I made a shank and then all the all the other cast members saw it and they were jealous. <laughs> they were jealous, we were all jealous. But one thing that was also really fun was that we got to decorate our own cells with, with our own stuff and put pictures up and, and uh, I brought a picture of Jesus and a crucifix, and um, I and I brought a picture of a kitty cat. But I think Janie Weedland took that for herself. Yeah, I remember we had a remember we had a line drawn down the middle of our cell. That's right. <laughs> because we my side, my side. Yeah. Don't be crossing this line, bitch. And mine had like black fishnets and shit hanging from it, and then right across from you, Jesus, like. 
pictures. <laughs> it was a glamour shot of Jesus too. It was a really pretty picture of him. Yeah, he was great. Um, what? It was like a headshot of Jesus. <laughs> it was fun. I, I enjoyed working on that movie. And I, I was really fond of the people that I stayed with. And, and the, you know, Macon is a nice town, except that it's Georgia. Yeah, it was so fucking hot. And like where we it were was. filming the, um, where we were filming, like the cell, the cell scenes was in, um, it was in this like, upper floor of like some really old Victorian like warehouse loft or something and there was no air conditioning. It was hot. It was super hot. It was and then remember when we went to the Bibb County Penitentiary to, to film? Do you remember that? Yeah. I did. I'd forgotten where we, we were out in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But when 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 the bailiff was taking us in we were we were all wearing our prison outfits, which were were like these like really tight sort of mustard yellow. They looked like waitress dresses, and we all were allowed to wear incongruously high heels in jail. So <laughs> you, me, Jane Weedland, Susan, Trey you wore high heels. What? You wore high heels. Yes, I wore sensible shoes. I was a religious person. Oh uh, yeah, that, and I was ungodly. But when we were walking through the penitentiary down the hallway to like where we we're gonna film. There was this whole group of guys wearing um, striped outfits with little caps and it looked just like, oh brother, where art thou? And the, the bailiff that was taking us in or the correctional officer, whatever, whatever the official name is, I forgot because I, I wiped all that out of my memory after we got out of the, the slam. Um, <laughs> uh, like he had said, as we're walking through the hallway, ladies, do not make eye contact, do not make verbal contact with the prisoners. And so we saw these guys in the, oh brother, where art thou, thou outfits way down at the end of the hall. And Jane goes really loudly, ooh, is somebody else making a movie here? And they started catcalling us and whistling and screaming and they were all like on a real chain gang. And then the, <laughs> the bailiff turned around and looked at me and said, do not make eye contact, do not make verbal contact with the inmates. <laughs> well, Jane is a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jane, play Jane played like some kind of a slow or um, like mentally disabled person, and she was a genius at it. Yes. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> Hi, Jane. We she's love really, you. She's brilliant at playing. At, I, no, I was almost said a forbidden word. She is brilliant. I'm playing slow. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, developmentally challenged. Yes. Yes. Sometimes I wish I had a gun so you and I could be alone. You'd be my hostage for the day and you do just what I say. Okay, so let's let's um let's let's morph into your life more than than our prison history together. Um so tell me about like like your early 
times in Baltimore, like were you like growing up there and then how you met John Waters and all of that? I, I was, a, I'm a little suburban girl. I'm a suburban Catholic girl. Um, I, my neighborhood was very preppy and traditional and everybody wore knee highs and loafers, and cardigan sweaters that had to match the knee highs and madras and all that kind of stuff. And it was, um, uh, I mean, I went to public, actually I went to Catholic schools a lot. And so I was taught by nuns. I had the medieval nuns because back, back in the ancient days of my childhood, the nuns still wore the black robes and the veils and, you know, all that stuff. Hot, hot. I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. They were, it was, it was serious. It was, you know, you could die and go to hell if you ate a piece of bacon on a Friday morning. So, um, so that I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a fanatical religious upbringing, but it was a religious upbringing. It was a, you know, an observant Catholic upbringing. And, uh, and I met John. I, my sister had known him a little bit in Baltimore. I'm my older sister. I, well, I've come from a huge family, but the sister who's just one year older than I am had met him a couple of times in Baltimore. And she was in Provincetown on Cape Cod in the summer of 1966. And I decided to go up to visit her. And while I was there, John was there. And we met just casually on a street corner. You know, probably, I don't know if you know Provincetown. Yeah, it's yeah, in front of town hall on a, an area called the benches because they were benches in front of town hall. And people would just sit there. That was where, you know, you'd meet your friends. And so we met there and we hit it off. And by the end of the summer, uh, he and I and my sister and about half a dozen other friends were all living together in this completely insane hand-built house at the end of town. Uh, it had been built by a guy named Prescott Townsend, who was 73 years old and a, um, you know, just an, an old Boston Brahmin. But he was insane and uh, he was actually great. He had been a founder of the Madison Society and all, you know, he's a gay man and, and a free thinker. And he had built this compound. So we were living there and it was just fabulous. It was the most bohemian I think I've ever lived. And it was certainly a completely different from the environment that I had grown up in, you know, and I was thrilled. I mean, I was a kid looking for adventure and you know, I was 18, 19 years old and looking to break out of this suburban environment. So, uh, but anyway, at the end of the summer, um, I went back to Baltimore and moved back in with my mom. John went back to Baltimore and moved back in with his parents. And at some point during the fall, he called me up and said, I'm making a movie. Do you want to be in it? And of course, the answer to that question is always yes. So we filmed this movie called uh, Roman Candles, which nobody can see because it takes three eight millimeter projectors and a tape recorder to show it. <laughs> but it, <laughs> I'm serious. But, you know, we, it was lots of different scenes and I'm in a couple of them and, and you know, lots of other people are in it as well. But it, it was fun. And then the following year, he made another movie called, called uh, Mondo Trash Show. And I had a really glamorous part in that one. I had I played a topless tap dancer who gets gang banged with a ba uh, paper bag over my head. 
So that was fun. But anyway, you know, I mean, we kind of, we started out working in these eight millimeter films, moved on to 16 millimeter black and white. And then uh, eventually we got to Pink Flamingos, which was color and sync sound. And, you know, I mean, it was a, that was our big Hollywood production. You know, we, we had come all the way up from basically silent films. So it was, uh, you know, just, I was in the right place at the right time and met the right people. I was very, very lucky. That's amazing. So, um, I mean, had you thought that you wanted to be an actress? What, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? I, I, I need to know this. I didn't, I didn't know. I, I, was, I was just, I was an indifferent student. I, I went to a huge public high school. Um, I went, you know, I went to Catholic grade school, but then I went to a huge public high school. I hated school. I loved to read, but I was a completely indifferent student. I had no plans. No, I, I had absolutely, I was aimless, basically. I was an aimless, I was a rebel without a cause. I was an aimless, angry kid. So that's one of the reasons why meeting John was so lucky for me, because who knows? I wouldn't have become a cult person because I had already rejected religion in all forms by the time I met him, but I could have gotten mixed up with criminals. I mean, I, you know, it would have been easy to get hooked up with, with you know, anybody that was offering any kind of adventure was yeah. attractive to me. So I was just really lucky that I met somebody who was offered adventure safely. Yes, uh, like legal adventure. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it might have wound up as band adventure sometimes. Sometimes, but, you know, it never hurt me. So. What was, um, so, what was your favorite film that you were in of, of his? Um, well, I have several, I have lots of favorites, but John, um, I love Female Trouble. Because I play the, you know, the 14-year-old um, disturbed child. And I really loved Taffy. She was a wonderful character to play. And she was, there was part of, you know, part of her was based on me. Part of it was based on another friend of ours named Paparan. And part of her was, was uh, very firmly rooted in John's own childhood. So there was a lot going on in that character, but she was really fun. And I, and I loved playing against Divine. I really liked working opposite Divine. We we worked well together that way. I mean, so I love to can tell that you guys on on screen like have have that really great chemistry. But you know, I mean, it when when I was watching all those films at, at different points in my life, I, and this was before the internet, a lot of it. So I didn't even know this, but I I just immediately thought that all of you guys were friends offset too. You know. Well, we were friends. We didn't all hang out together all the time, but we were all friendly. Yeah, we yeah, were that's all friends. It. We were fond of each other and had a great deal of respect for each other. And we partied together yeah. um, in the early days more than we did later on. But um, yeah, I mean, we used to, in the very early days, you know, before Pink Flamingos, even, we would all get together on Saturday nights and play records and take drugs. <laughs> we, took a lot of, we took a lot of LSD together. So it was, you know, we, we were close. We knew each other pretty well. I know, you know, my producer always asks me if, uh, if one of the requisites of, my, of having a guest on the show is if they've taken a lot of acid. I'm not kidding. 
<laughs> well, I have. I have taken a lot of acid. And I aspire to be a pothead. I'm not really good at it, but I do eat gummies a lot. Oh, you do? I yeah. do. When was the last time you took psychedelics? I'm just wondering, because I can't even remember when my, oh. I think it was like 11 oh, years ago. Relatively, relatively recently. It was about five years ago, I think. What, what uh, was John Waters and I took acid together in Provincetown. You and who? John Waters. Oh my God. Yeah, we, we had, we took it, to, we took it together. There was another friend of us, a friend of, uh, with us named Frankie and the three of us, John had an apartment on the water in Provincetown and we sat out on the balcony and just watched the world, watched the water. It was really beautiful. It was really fun. And it had been, before that, it had probably been the 70s. Wow. So it was a long time, but it was about five years ago. Have you ever taken ecstasy? Yes. I love I like ecstasy. It. it was like it was like, like preludes it. and acids to combine to me. That's what I felt like. I I've had religious experiences on ecstasy. I mean, not literally. I haven't seen God or anything, but I've had, you know, um, sort of revelations. Just you know, difficult decisions came clear. You know, difficult problems sort of solved themselves on ecstasy. I love this stuff. Yeah, I did too. I'm just um haven't taken it really a long time though i know me neither i have i have like when i during the pandemic i wanted to take take some kind of hallucinogenics with my boyfriend and somehow we never got around to it <laughs> because that's like you know what i mean i feel like the recovery time would be so much longer nowadays than than it was when i used to regularly abuse psychedelics uh, after I asked, after the last acid trip I took, I think it took me two or three days to really feel back to normal. Yeah. So it was, it does, it, it takes a lot out of you. I know. But it's worth it. Um, well, it's I'm worth it occasionally. It's, I mean, almost my, almost nothing is worth the price of several days of downtime. But, um, I don't know. It was, uh, the trip that I took with John was certainly worth it. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. I mean, I I always think that, but yes, I've had revelations on all sorts of hallucinogenics, like I mean, especially uh, acid and ecstasy. I love them, but um, I did have a minor panic attack. Like this was about three or four years ago. It was it was a little bit before the pandemic. Thinking. Oh my God, I haven't taken like any kind of LSD or anything in so long. Is that chapter in my life over? And I got really sad and mournful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I OD'd on gummies. Um, on cannabis a gummies? A, a pot gummy. A, a friend had sent me, knew I like gummies and sent me some for Christmas and I didn't read the label. So I took what I thought was a normal dose, which would be five milligrams. And it turned out to be 50 milligrams. Ooh. And I went, I was out of my mind. I was crawling around on the bathroom floor. I, you know, I lost complete control of my body. My legs didn't work. My bladder wasn't working properly. I mean, it was just all, it was a mess. And finally, and I kept saying, my boyfriend kept saying, well, you know, you just took too much. And I'd say, yes, 
I know that, you know, but, um, and finally, you know, I just lay down on the bed and my boyfriend lay down on the bed with me and held my hand for about three hours. And that finally brought me out of it. It was, I knew I wasn't going crazy. I knew I would recover. So I wasn't completely panicked, but it was a very unpleasant experience. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. I can't, I can't um, smoke or eat any kind of marijuana because for me, it's like, it's worse than taking like three or four hits of acid. I don't mean worse, but I mean, like just that I get, I get so stoned. I can't even say I am so high. I mean, <laughs> really? yeah, it turns into Jane and stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I take a half a gummy and it's, it's, it just kind of chills me out. I take piano lessons now. That is the biggest thing going on in my life at this moment (laughs) is early on in the pandemic, a friend of mine named John Epperson, who is also known as Lipsinka, if you've ever heard of Lipsinka. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Lipsinka is a piano teacher. Oh, no way. He sent out an email looking for students. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do this. And I went out and I got a a really inexpensive little keyboard off of Craigslist. And I started taking piano lessons. And from beginner, from absolute beginner, from, you know, I know where middle C is. And it's been, um, it'll be two years, I guess, in November, October, and I'm still a beginner. But it's wonderful, and but it's really boring sometimes because you have to do so many just little exercises to make your fingers strong and to learn the keys and to learn how. It's I have so much respect for musicians now, for people who can actually play an instrument. It is hard. It is really, really hard to play an instrument and to learn music. I mean, John's teaching me theory. I'm learning chords and all kinds of theory and the circle of fifths and all this stuff. It's, I mean, it's really, it's hard. It's, and I practice for about two hours a day. And the only way I can get through it some days is if I'm stoned. Because wow. otherwise it's just so boring. Wow, what are those you know, banging noises? There's fun, there's fun part, but the, you know, the actual repetition and having to just do certain exercises over and over again gets gets kind of tedious. So the gummies really help. Wow, that's but I do I do absolutely love doing it. And he's a great teacher. He's a fabulous teacher. Are you learning how to read music or is that or do you do it by memory? I'm learning how to read music and that's really hard too. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's it's all yeah, I'm learning music theory, how to read music. I mean, he's not just teaching me how to play little dinky tunes on the piano. He's actually teaching me music. What what kind of um, stuff are you playing? Tell me. Well, you know, it varies. It's all, I'm playing out of these children's books. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's like one of the songs that I play is called The Dream Boat. And if I sang the lyrics to you, you would be horrified. Sing them, (laughs) sing them, sing them to everybody. I can't. But it sleeps off, sleep light, while far on high, the silver moon sails down the sky. You know, I mean, they're just silly, silly things. And 
year, what will you bring me? Sun and rain and snow. Spring, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> it's really kind of, um, you know, really, um, but I, you know, in, in with all of this, I've got a little, little tiny bit of very simple Mozart and a, and a very an overly simplified piece of settee. You know, so I'm learning more, he's, he teaches more classical than pop, but it's, it's all fun. You know, I mean, it's all really hard. It's all really challenging. But every time I kind of get one right, I feel like, yes. You know, I feel really like I've accomplished something because it's hard. That's what that's what I felt like when I when I first started dancing. You know, like it was, like a, a, I mean, a good pianist or a good dancer makes everything look so beyond easy. You think it, you're you're lulled into thinking it's going to be easy, and then it's like the hardest thing you've ever done. But like I'm sure you became obsessed with piano in the same way that I, I was dancing. Yeah. Yeah. And you make it look really easy, but I could never, I can't do what you do. And people can't do what you do because you worked really hard to be able to do it. Um, let's take a little break. And then I'm going to ask you um, a couple of more things about that time in your life. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Okay, now I'm back with Mink 
And um, I mean, it, I could, I, I probably wouldn't even have the time to be learning how to do that now. But so it's cool that you've got the time to to spend two hours a day on piano. I mean, that's that's incredible. That's like that's like how much you love it, but it's also how much you're making time for it. Oh well, you know, my life right now, Pleasant, is so quiet. I came out to at the at the early um, early lockdown very beginning of the lockdown two years ago I came out I figured I was going to stay with my boyfriend for a couple of months then everything would be fine I'd go back to Baltimore because he lives here I live, I live there and every you know it would be um you know just this we would spend the lockdown together well I'm still here you know the lockdown lasted forever we decided that we really liked living together so I went back to Baltimore um in January and closed out my apartment you know, I moved here, but our life is very, very quiet. You know, there's, he spends his days making ceramics and I spend my days fiddling on my piano. I got a better keyboard. <laughs> I actually, I, he gave me a, he gave me a much nicer keyboard for Christmas. So I'm not playing on my cheap little Casio anymore, <laughs> which is, it makes a difference. Oh, I'm sure. Do your neighbors know that you're mink stall? We live in an industrial building because Tom, my sweetie, uh, is a furniture. He's retired now. But he's a furniture builder and designer. And so we live in the building that was his workshop. We have kind of a loft upstairs. Oh, that's good. So we don't really have neighbors. That's really good. So you could, you could just be playing piano at like three in the morning if you felt like it. I could. I think Tom would object. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but if I really desperately needed to, yes, I could. There would be no. There would be nobody to hear me. Yeah, that's just, that's a definite plus. Um. So I just saw Alchemy of the Spirit, another Steve Balderson film that you appeared in as. Um, you were kind of like a, a bitchy art dealer. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I, I don't know that bitchy is the word I would use. Um, assertive, maybe, would be the word. Let's be feminist here, Les. Um, I enjoyed making that movie a lot. First of all, we were in Maine in October, which is possibly one of the prettiest places and times to be. And it was such a treat. And Xander Berkeley, who is the main character, is really wonderful to work with. He's really a good actor. And I ended up, you know, the night that I saw you at the screening, that was the first time I'd seen it. And the first time is always really hard for me. You know, it's like, I don't know whether you like watching yourself on screen. No, I, I hate it. I hate it when I and, see myself yeah. on screen. So uh, I was really nervous about seeing it, but I really liked it. I liked it a lot better than I thought I would. So um, not because I thought it would be a sucky movie. It's just, I always think, oh, I wish I had done this. Why didn't I turn my head that way? Why did I say it like that? Oh, stupid. You know, I mean, you just want to critique your own performance constantly and nothing else matters. So, but I was okay. And I wasn't in it more than I needed to be. And Xander was really good. And his wife, uh, Sarah Clark, 
was also really good. So, and I thought it was filmed really well. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful movie. I'm going to tell you guys, um, it's playing at some film festivals in the pretty near future. So I'm going to give you guys some dates before Mink and I go on. So you can see Alchemy of the Spirit with Mink in it on September 29th through October 2nd at the um, Macabre Fair in Lebanon, Tennessee, which is um, just outside of Nashville. It's also screening October 12th through 22nd at the Portland Film Festival in Portland, Oregon. And nice. Yeah, and if you happen to be in Australia, it's gonna be playing there um, at the Melbourne Underground Film Festival from November 19th through 28th. So I know Australia is a big country, but you know you should just fly across it to see me. Exactly. And you know, it, get a, hop on a kangaroo and get over there. It's, oh, um, <laughs> Steve is brilliant at getting into festivals. You know, I mean, he's, he really gets his films out there. Hey. I mean, you've worked with him. You, you've done more films with him even than I've done. You did that wonderful casserole club with him that was really good. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was a hard movie to be in. Um, I, I've, I, I've had kind of, kind of a relationship, I would imagine, um, with Steve, the way you have with John. I've been in so many of Steve's movies and we're really good friends off off set you know so it, it's it's always like super super easy and fun on his sets yeah no he's great i really like working with him a lot so i, I was really happy when he called me to ask me to do uh, alchemy i was really happy about it that so, movie is then, so beautiful and like the, the it's so it's so like ethereal and the shots are so good you're you felt to me felt like um, like maybe the only person that wasn't like you know, like in in some kind of an odd dreamland. I well, yeah, she was yeah. The character was kind of a dose of reality to this guy who was going kind of going crazy. Yeah, we yeah. should we should take a little break right now, and um, we will be right back with Mink Stall. chagrin I couldn't wait for every day to begin the morning sun would shine on only me then one of those days you came into my life and mended my way hi we are back again so um yes we were just talking about alchemy of the soul um, spirit. Uh, sorry, alchemy of the spirit. I keep messing that up. I don't know why. I'm living in a soul kitchen. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, um, do you have any anything else coming up, or any kind of projects that you're doing on or off screen, or public or non-public? My life right now, like I said, is really quiet. Um, in November, I'm going to Tulsa. Oklahoma for a couple of days to do a little bit of a, a cabaret, a sort of a demi cabaret act with my friend Peaches Christ. You know Peaches? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
from San Francisco. Uh, we used to do a cabaret act together a lot. Uh, we've done it quite a few places. And we were, right before the lockdown, we were scheduled to do a whole bunch of things. We had, um, we had shows booked in London and Montreal and a couple of places in, in, in the US. And then everything, you know, went completely to pieces. So, um, so this will be the first time that we've had a chance to do anything together in several years. Uh, we did do, we did sing together one night last year, I think it was, at an event called Torture Garden, which oh, is yeah. a big M rave that happens here in LA that I'd never been part of. I'd never been there before, but they invited us to come and sit on the balcony and wave to people. So that's what we did. <laughs> we, just, we just sat on the balcony and waved. And they paid us money for that. But we got up on the stage and we did a duet together. And that was kind of fun. And, um, but other than that, this will be our first time actually performing together in a long time. So, and we'll be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I forget what the date is. I'm sorry. Tulsa is great. I love Tulsa. I thought it was going to be kind of like a, a backwards place when I first went went there. No, no offense to anybody that lives in Oklahoma, but it's so cool. It's, it was like. Glad to know, because I've never been there. I know they have the Bob Dylan Museum there now, and I want to go see that. I'm going to be there in a, a couple of extra days. So um, I'm going to take a look around. But good to know. Let me know if there's any really cool places. We'll talk. We'll talk off podcast. <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah. Um, so what do you what do you like about living in LA now, aside from like the no neighbors and, and that kind of thing? Well, I I after 30 odd years of being single, you know, I'm now in a really wonderful relationship, and that's probably the best part. It's nice to be reconnected with some of my old friends, although there are a lot of people here that I haven't really caught up with yet because I've just been living. Well, first of all, it was the pandemic. So there was no socializing. And I've just, you know, I've been, I, I'm living kind of on the down low here. Very, like I said, very quietly. So um, there are people that I want to see and I will see, but I'm living in a neighborhood that I never thought I'd be in. I always used to live in the Silver Lake, Los Feliz part of town. And now I live in sort of South Central LA in the Crenshaw district. And I really like it, but I live below the 10. I'm south of the 10, which is just shocking to me, but it's great, you know, and, um, but it's quiet. What I love about it is I do love the weather, although it's hot. I miss, I miss Baltimore. In, with all honesty, I do. I miss, I miss Baltimore. Baltimore, I lived in a, my apartment in Baltimore was surrounded by trees. I had friends five minutes away. You know, the, the biggest problems with LA is the distance between you and anywhere else that you want to be. You know, that's the biggest problem for me. Um, but I do like being back here. You know, I have a sister who lives in Burbank. My brother George lives here too. You know, so it's nice to be reconnected with them. Oh, so that's it's, cool. Yeah, it's nice. Um, tell me, and well, tell everybody, like um, some of the 
sickest or craziest things you can recount from any of of your films that you were in like like off off screen or during the shoot or whatever well i don't know that we did any really think six things off screen because we were really disciplined we were actually very professional in our work habits uh, early on you know in the in the really early days john would sort of drive around and pick everybody up and we'd all go to the set together and and, you know, you'd stay all day, whether you were working or not, because you needed John to be finished in order to go home. Um, but, you know, we weren't taking drugs. We weren't drinking. We would, there was always plenty of room for having a good time and, a, you know, and a, and a laugh if things were funny. And they usually were, but we weren't misbehaving in any way. You know, we were actually... You know, we'd show up on the set, we'd know our lines and we'd do our job. It was kind it was, um, you know, people have an idea that we sort of just got together and the camera rolled and we made stuff up. And that's not how it was at all. I mean, John wrote every word. He was, you know, he was a real taskmaster when it came to his scripts. He did not appreciate any variation from his actual writing. So uh, he didn't even, he didn't like paraphrasing. Um, so it, it was, it was pretty disciplined work. I used to get really upset when people would call us amateurs. Oh my and God, people, people called oh, you yeah. amateurs? Oh, all the time, all the time. Was, what, was this like in the early seventies or was this more recently? Oh no, early, early on. Oh, okay. Early. It, well, it, it changed, you know, as time went on, it changed and, 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 you know, we got better. We, I mean, we were amateurs in the sense that we were untrained. So amateur was, but we were not amateurs in the sense that we were unprofessional. We were very professional in our behavior, in our work habits. Do you and, think, do you think that, um, did you have any idea when you guys all started working together that it was going to turn into like the big giant mega? You know, this year, Pink Flamingos turned 50 and was put on the National Historic. You know, the Library of Congress has chosen it as one of the 25 films this year to be in the National Historic Archives of Films. It's an, it became an important film. And no, there was absolutely no way of knowing that. We were having a good time. We were doing the most fun thing that was going on in Baltimore. Believe me, in 1971, this was the most fun thing that was happening in Baltimore. And I was thrilled to be a part of it. But no, there was no way to know that anybody past the screenings that we had we're ever going to see it again. It became a midnight hit, but I no, no, there was no way. And actually, Pleasant, I have to admit that I'm glad I didn't know because it, had I known, I would have been such an insufferable bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me. I'm going to be famous one day. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was so much better that we didn't know, you know, it kept us fresh and it kept us hungry. I want to know about the, um, 
the sort of subsistence or survival jobs you had during the early days? Oh. <laughs> well, I, I was not good at any of them is the problem. You know, I tried to sell magazine subscriptions over the phone, none. I got none. Um, I worked as a clerk in a drugstore. I worked as a waitress. I, you know, one of my very first jobs was at a big boy restaurant. Uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. I, I did all that. And then when I moved to New York. Um, what year was the, that? What year? 77. I moved to New York in 1977. I worked as a proofreader. I was really good at that. I was a legal proofreader and, you know, freelance. And I was really good at it. And I did that for years and years and years. Wow. Um, and I would work night shifts, you know, overnight shifts. And which was fabulous. They always gave you a town car to go home in, you know, from the law firm. So it was that was great. But it was, uh, yeah, mostly. And then I, you know, I did a lot of kind of office jobs and, and, you know, legal work, legal secretarial work, too. So I had no idea that you were involved in the law. That's that's pretty wild. I mean, because if you mess up on one of those depositions or whatever, wouldn't it have been like horrible? Yes. Well, I, you know, I never did any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I was in the office. I was, you know, I would work late at nights. But what I loved about what I was doing was everybody that I worked with was insane. You know, I worked with, you know, the, the first trans person I had ever met. Well, no, actually not the first, the second trans person. The first trans person I ever met was Elizabeth Coffey, who is in Pink Flamingos and Female Trouble. In Pink Flamingos with Top surgery done, bottom surgery partly done, and then in female trouble, she reappears with the bottom surgery done. So um, Elizabeth was my very first trans person, and that was yeah, 1971. And then, but I worked with a a, a, a trans woman as you know in one of the law offices, and you know I worked with all people who work night shift in law firms are kind of nuts. So it was, you know, they're Heidi people. They're people who either have incredibly interesting lives. I worked with one woman who would come in and she'd work for three months doing, you know, either word processing or proofreading. And then she would, she was a pilot. She'd go off and she'd fly for six months. And then she'd come back and work, you know, like 70 hours a week for three months and then, then go off and go flying someplace. So, you know, there were all kinds of weird, interesting people who worked there. I don't like restaurant work, so I didn't do as much of that as a lot of other actors do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's, you know, that's, you've lived in LA long enough now to know that that's the cliche, right? <laughs> that all your good looking weight staff is a movie hopeful. Yes, and in New York too. A lot, a lot of weight staff in New York are, you know, they're Broadway hopefuls. And you know it's it's a great way to make money. I just I don't like dealing with the public. I'd rather hide away in a back corner someplace and not have to deal with people. Do, do you get recognized a lot here or anywhere? No, as a matter of fact, not a lot. Uh, enough so that my ego gets nicely stroked every now and then. You know, but not so much, not even remotely enough to make it interfere with my life. No, well, that's good. That's like a good balance. Yeah, I actually think I have exactly the right amount 
of recognition. Now, next month, I'm going to John Waters' camp. Wait, what, what month is this? Is it this is October. So in September, I'm going to John Waters' camp. I go every year, and there's a, a campground in um, Connecticut. That's, it's sort of a corporate retreat type of camp place with cabins, and people bring tents and campers and things. And it's all, it's a full weekend of full on John Waters fans. I mean, these are people who come and spend the whole weekend. They, and they never leave the camp. What's and the they dates? Come. Tell everyone the dates before you start describing. Well, it's all, it's sold out. Um, oh. Okay, well, tell um, them for next year. I mean, let's keep describing it for it, next it's year. It's called John Waters Camp and you can find it online. And I don't know what the dates for next year would be, but it's always in September. And it's in a place called Kent, Connecticut. And it's really, really fun. And the same people come back year after year and they've made friends and they, they stay in touch throughout the year and they, they dress up, they come in costumes, they watch the movies, they, you know, we have, they have contests, they have, you know, costume contests and all kinds of fun stuff. And it's, it's really a really good time. So I'm looking forward to that. That, that's amazing. I didn't even know that existed. How did I not know that? That's crazy. Well, I, would I would never have thought it would be a success when John told me he was doing camp. I thought, who wants to do that? Well, apparently hundreds of people do because it's so <laughs> here. So, you know, I mean, these are people, they just, and people come with and without their, their, you know, their significant others. And they just have a wonderful time. It's really fun. I'm only there one night. I come in and I have dinner with everybody and I tell a story or two and then, you know, I go back to my home. I don't stay at the camp. I stay in a hotel. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, li I like to, I like to stay in a hotel. <laughs> yeah, not but a cabin. But it, it is, it's really fun. I thoroughly enjoy doing that. So, I think I think the date is the weekend of September eighth or ninth or whatever. Well, all your all your fans will will probably be tuning into this too, and they and they well, probably already know when next year. They is probably weekend. already. Oh, they have Facebook groups, and you know, I mean, there's all, you know, it's it's a it's a whole world of people that do this. You know, it's a little microcosm of society. People are nuts. <laughs> People are absolutely insane. Compared to what? Compared to what? What we did struck a chord. And, you know, I mean, our movies did for other people what they did for me, which was give us a place to go and be where the fact that we didn't fit into the world that we lived in or were trying to live in was okay. There was another world that would like us and would take us in and we would be happy in. And so, you know, that's what the movies did for me. So the fact that, the, that it does it for other people makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. You know, and, and, and people love, people love the movies for that reason. It, it showed them that they're just, you know, there's another way of being. I mean, especially in the earlier days with no internet, like those movies were, were like a ray of hope for people that either 
got the humor or wanted to to be trans or were a drag queen or were like a petty criminal or just someone that wanted something that wasn't like so late 60s and early 70s milk toast shit like that was on me and the radio all the time exactly just wanted you know something else you know this one isn't working oh look there's another one i'll have that one you know so they they you know, they, they were able to find another way, you know, other people to be with, you know, create other families, create other sets of friends. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of wonderful to have been part of that, you know, to help other people with that. Because I hated where I was. You know, I was miserable as a teenager. Adolescence is, adolescence sucks for even the happiest people, I think, but it's still you know, being able to break out of, John, John says to me, um, he says that, you know, I looked like a prep, little preppy girl, but he could tell I was, I was yearning to break bad. <laughs> and I was. What did your family think of this? Like when, when, when the movies first started, did you keep it a secret or like, did they know about it or, or? No, my mom uh, was mortified. To be absolutely, she was absolutely mortified and wanted nothing to do with it. And would, would actually say things to me like, please don't tell people you're my daughter. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I know. She was mortified. The odd thing was that she really liked John because John would come over to pick me up and he'd always have, you know, he'd always have a joke for her. You know, he was always able to make her laugh. So she hated what we were doing. There was, there's one scene in uh, Multiple Maniacs, where I play a really straight person. And I've got a little blonde curly wig on, a little dress with, you know, puff sleeves. And I think I look awful. My mother sees, and I'm living with her at the time. And she she sees me getting ready to, you know, to go to work, to go to the, go to the set. And she goes, oh, you look so pretty. Why can't you just look like that all the time? And I'm like, ah, you know, because I can't, mother. You know, my hair was dyed red, and you know, I was a you know, I mean, dark magenta. You know, I looked kind of a mess, and I thought I looked great. I was very punky. I was wearing black fingernail polish. You know. Wait, like what year? What year was this kind of? Oh, this was like 1968. Amazing. And uh, but anyway. So, you know, me in this little, little pretty girl dress, she loved it. And it was just, so she had trouble with it. Now, as time went on and we became more and more respectable and more and more accepted in the mainstream, she got over all of that. She actually, she came to see polyester. Um, she didn't like it very much, but she actually saw it. And she's, a, and then John talked her into being an extra in Hairspray. So my mom, you have to know where she is and not blink, but she's in it. Wow. What was she like on set? Or what was it like having your mom on set? That's insanity. She was so happy to be. I got to introduce her to Jerry Stiller and Sonny Bono. She didn't care much about Sonny Bono, but she loved meeting Jerry Stiller. And he was really, really sweet to her. You know, so that she she had a really good time. But most of the time, she was in the extras holding pen. I wasn't hanging out with her, you know, because I was a principal. 
Yeah. No, principals don't hang out with the extras. Oh, no, not with the... With <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. Even if it's other extra. No, but no, she had a good time. She And she got to see how boring making movies can really be. Yeah. You know, how much that hurry up and wait thing, which Steve Balderson doesn't put us through, by the way. You know, he moves fast, but you know, you got a big production with a lot of people. It's a lot of sitting around and waiting. So she got bored. Yeah. Also, I mean, I think Steve move like moves fast, not just because he can, but you know, it's like that early indie thing, you know, like time is is money is supreme. Like, you know, you only have uh you know, limited amount of time or limited amount of film you can get or any of that kind of stuff. Even and he works with a tiny crew. He works with a tiny crew. Yeah. So, you know, it's and sort of ambient light. It's not like, you know, people are out there, you know, working on the whatever they're called lights. But you guys, um, everyone in Maine knew that you were making Alchemy of the Spirit, right? Because when we were doing the Casserole Club, that movie you mentioned in the beginning, Steve rented um, some houses in Palm Springs and told them it was a, <laughs> he told them it was a writer's conference and we we're doing writing workshops. <laughs> and so anytime there was a knock on the door, he'd be like, cut, cut, cut. And we'd all have to go and hide and try to like move shit that made it look like it was a movie set before answering the door. And it was just a FedEx package or something. Well, actually the, the, the building that we used in Alchemy, the building where, where Xander lived in Alchemy of the Spirit, he owns that building. Oh, That's wow. an old inn. He, he owns it's from it's a building from the 1700s and he owns it. So we didn't have to hide from anybody. <laughs> you know, we, we were fine. And I don't know how long the shoot took. I was only there for three days. So um, you know, it, but no, there, there was no hiding. And the town is tiny. It was a tiny, tiny little town. So it's um no, no, no hiding. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, yeah, I didn't think that like Steve was at the point of hiding now too, because the casserole was a lot. That was the, the casserole club was like ten years ago or something. You know what I mean? But it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, it was a while ago. Um. All right. So I I gotta ask you about some other stuff right now. Like um, I'm sure you have. I hope you have had some kind of a paranormal experience? The only real paranormal experience that I can remember <clears throat> is a million years ago in Provincetown. I remember I was living in a, a really sweet little A-frame house and I, I had a boyfriend that I was living with that lasted about five minutes. But during the time that I was there, I do remember waking up and seeing an older couple standing at the foot of my bed. And I closed my eyes. And when I opened them again, they were gone. Were they see-through when you saw them or did they look like real people? You know, it's too, I don't remember. I think they, they were kind of, it was dark. So I don't know whether, there, you know, so there wasn't really any light to see through them. No, they they were. There was a uh, um, 
a lightness about them. They weren't solid. I couldn't really see through them because it was dark. And they were only there for a moment, but they, they gave me, I had a feeling that they liked me. I mean, it was just a kind of a, a, a sense of benevolence coming from them. And that's the only real paranormal experience I can ever remember. But I do remember seeing that. So does that count? Yeah, totally. Are you kidding? <laughs> a, a couple at the end of your bed that's not real people. Yes, that counts. I guess it counts. <laughs> but uh, you know, but they were they were gone the next time I opened my eyes. I mean, it was it was a momentary thing, but there was I felt no threat. I felt I felt a sense of of benevolence. But you knew it was real. You didn't think it was like an acid flashback or something, right? No, I didn't. It felt very real. It felt, yeah, it felt absolutely real. And I've never forgotten it. Yeah. You know, it was like 1967 or 68. It was wow. a long time ago. Then, so, I mean, I've, ha I've had some crazy paranormal experiences and some of them were scary, but the ones that weren't scary, I, I keep, I think of them all the time, just like like what you said. And I, and I, like, I sort of want more of it. I mean, I do paranormal investigations. I haven't do done, yeah, I've been doing it since 2009, but I haven't done one since the pandemic, you know? So I had like a really good long run with it. But whenever you really see like a spirit or a ghost, or like whenever you get like that confirmation on any of the devices for paranormal investigation, for me, it makes me get like all junky Jonesy. Like, I just want more, I want more and I'll, and I'll I'll, I'll replay like times that I've seen apparitions, like almost at the same way someone would just watch Pornhub over and over. <laughs> I mean, because it was so, it's so cool when it happens, when you realize like what the fuck is happening and it's just insane. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an atheist, but I don't discount you know, there are more things in heaven and earth, you know, that are known. I forget what the quote is, but, you know, there, it's impossible to know what, what's, what we don't know. So I'm really jealous of the people that saw Our Lady of Fatima. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was one of my biggest stories when I was a kid. Yeah, really? Big, oh, yeah, that was a big, those three little kids out there in the, I think she appeared in a tree, all glowy. Yeah. People still go to Fatima. I've never been. My I want to go there. He's been to Fatima. Who has? Um, people crawling to the shrine on their knees. Oh, yeah. You know, it's that that kind of freaks me out, you know, that people get. And basically, it's, you know, it's women crawling on their knees because they want to get pregnant. Apparently the, vir the virgin mother is supposed to help you get pregnant. Yeah, I, there, there was this shrine in Greece I saw. I don't remember what it was, but people crawled up to it and it was mostly women too. And I didn't know that was about pregnancy. I mean. May not have been, but you know, I think that's what that is. They were crawling up like a steep hill. And I, I, was, I was like on a ferry boat that was getting ready to pull into where this was happening. And I was just like, I didn't even care about my luggage. I was just like watching these people because it was so wild. It was- Yeah, it's insane. 
Uh, I don't believe in doing that. I'm sure you've crawled around at some point or other. I've crawled around on my knees plenty of times. I told you when I when I OD'd on that on that uh, gummy, I was crawling around on my knees. My legs didn't work. So yeah, I've spent time, but uh, not for any religious reasons, and certainly not to try to get to become pregnant. <laughs> Yeah. Never one of my goals in life. I know. Uh, same, same kind of. So that's good, especially with what's going on in America now. Oh, I, you know, God bless. That's a figure of speech, but you know, all good wishes to people who are having babies now. It's a scary time. Yeah, in general, for every every kind of reason. Yeah, for everything, it's a scary time. Well. Um, is there anything else you want to say to our esteemed audience? I can't think of anything. Uh, be safe. You know, we had a COVID scare this week. We had lunch, you know, we had dinner with friends last weekend that now have COVID. We've tested and we're fine, but it's just, you know, the world is scary and people are out there acting like it's not. And it's, um, you know, so I just, I want I want people to, you know, pay attention and, you know, stay safe. And, you know, not paranoid, but safe. You know, I'm worried about monkeypox. I worry about monkeypox, not that I'm going to get it, but that the, you know, people will turn it into another reason to hate gays. Uh, yeah, um, I was thinking about that too. You know, it just, there is so much hate out there. There is so much anger and so much hate. And I want everybody to, you know, stay as far away from that as they can and to put back as much good intention and good feeling in the world as they can. And I'm not a Pollyanna, but I do believe that kindness matters. So, you know, be safe and be kind. God, that sounded really sappy, but I, you know, it's just. No, it's true. I mean, those are, those are like, be kind, I think, as always like a, a great thing, you know? Um, it's but, a pervasive virtue. Kindness really matters. Yeah. So, and there's, you know, there's so little of it. I mean, there's, there's so much real meanness going on right now. I mean, real mean. There are a lot of really mean people in the world now that get a lot of attention. So, um, yeah. So on that cheery note. <laughs> no, we're not going to end on that note. Okay. <laughs> tell, me, tell everybody what you're going to, uh, what you're going to play. And if you're going to like go to the piano as soon as we sign off or, or, oh. or something. <laughs> I might play. I might play. She's looking through her My sheet music now. <laughs> what one are you going to play? The Little Spring Song. It's in the key of A major, which has three sharps, F sharp, C sharp, and G sharp. You have to recite those things before you play now. You that's do? What students, so to put I, it into your head? That's, that's what, that, no, that's what students do. That's, that's part of, the, that's what I am, during my lessons, you know, at my lessons, when it's like, okay, what are you gonna play? I'm gonna play this. And what is it? And what? And it's in three-four time. 
So I, you know, I just sort of lay out what it is. I mean, I don't know why it's so hard to read music because I mean, it's just, it just tells you what to do. You know, it, <laughs> the music tells you where your fingers go. You know, it's right there on the page. It's so hard. <laughs> do you play? And, you know, and I have, and my poor little fingers never had to do. You know, they typed a little bit, but they never had to do anything complicated. So you know, it's like training my, you know, my poor old fingers to do complicated patterns. It's like takes a while. Do you have new respect for Liberace? It just takes. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'm booking Carnegie Hall for like a couple of months from now. <laughs> And I, and I want you all to be there. <laughs> Everybody come. It will be fabulous. I can't wait. I, to I have a great time. I Go ahead, great. what? I have a great time with it. Yeah, I have fun. I'm surprised you didn't practice it um, in, when we were incarcerated. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't doing it then. You know, but I'm, I'm now at the age, you know, um, where I can't do it later. There's no later. You know, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. I mean, that's the thing when you get when you get really older, you know, it's like you can't put this off. You know, I'll, oh, I'll pick that up in a couple of years. In a couple of years, I may not be here. I'm not, I'm not sick, but, you know, I'm getting older. And it's just, um, and age is a fact of life. I'm healthy, I'm fine. But, you know, if I wait another two, if, you know, I've already been doing it for almost two years and it's going to be another, you know, so, and I'm still in baby books. So if I waited any longer, I'd never get to do it. No, this is good. I can't, I can't wait yeah. to see you play. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Carnegie Hall, two months from now. Oh, yeah. I, I already got my tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the guest list, right? You yeah, no, get... honey, you're calm. I've calmed you in. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think I have to comp everybody. <laughs> to get pay them to come Pay people. Here's a dollar. Please, please. <laughs> uh, all right, you guys. That was Mink Stall. How, how we already knew she was fabulous, but this was really, really fabulous. This was fun. This was fun. All right. I love you, Mink. And I love you too, Liz. Everybody else will see you or you'll hear me very soon on the devil's music. The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden.
All Sound Design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.